Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, spooksters. Welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica, and as always, I am joined by my favorite gal pal, Tara. Hey, spooksters. Today, we are doing another patron select. This one is for Rebecca. She requested this case. If you would like to have your own dedicated episode like Rebecca has, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls and check out our different tiers. Our $10 and up tier part of their benefits is they get to pick a case that we dedicate the episode to them. So this is for Rebecca. And she requested that we do the story of the unsolved murder of Sandy Long. Now, if you're going to go straight to Google, I'm going to caveat here. There is a Sandra Long from the 90s, not the one we're talking about. Mm -hmm. This is Sandy Long from 2010. Gotcha. I (laughs) may have started researching the other one. (laughs) Oh, no. And then was like, wait, this doesn't seem right. So Sandy Long lived in Lisby, Maryland with her husband, Lewis, and then she had two teenage daughters. They were from a previous relationship, not Lewis's daughters. So that's important to note. Sandy was said to be the life of the party. She was 43, but like you could tell that she had party years in her, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Her niece, Glenda Johnson, said that she was the life of the party and she was good hearted, genuine, caring, considerate person that anyone who was around her just loved to be in her presence. Hmm. Sandy had like a really big family that all lived kind of local. And I mean, like her aunt was her neighbor and like her sister lived around the block, which I was like, I want that. I want to be that close with my meaningful people in my life. Mainly Tara, (laughs) but... Just Tara. Just me. She can be next door. (laughs) And maybe my brother Bo on the other side. That would be grand. Aww. (laughs) And so because of this, her family was very important to her. You know, they said that she was just living life. It's wonderful. She was a very generous person. Like I said, she actually worked for a nonprofit. If anyone's worked for a nonprofit I have, it's a lot more difficult because it's not the same like I could earn exponential. Your company has very limited It's a lot of donations Mm -hmm. run off of it. According to her niece, Karen Gross, it was said that about the weekend before November 30th of 2010, November 30th was a Tuesday. So like that weekend before, she seemed very distant. And she said, I went to see her the Sunday prior to her murder and that Monday and she just seemed very quiet and distant. They asked, like, why she didn't, like, talk to her about it. And she said that she didn't. She just figured that her family was, like, going through some stuff and didn't want to pry too much because there were rumors in the family, which we will get to later. 
I get it. Like, I've been in that situation where some, like, one of my friends, even Tara, there's been moments where, like, she looks sad or something, but it's like, ooh, do I want to ask her? Because, like, will I make it worse or will I make it better? (laughs) You know, we all have those moments. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it was said that this was kind of the last interaction that they'd had. And then on Tuesday, Sandy got up and she got ready for work like any other day. And she went to go to her job and she worked for the ARC. Like I said, it's a nonprofit. And the ARC, and according to their website of their mission statement is the ARC promotes and protects human rights of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and actively supports their full inclusion and participation in the community throughout their lifetimes. What Sandy would do is she would go and pick them up and like drive them to work and help them like do that kind of like run around stuff. Because obviously they they wouldn't have the ability to drive, but you know she made it so that they could get out into the community, which I was like that is fantastic. And apparently the arc is like nationwide. I didn't know that. You can type in like the arc in like the county you live in and find it. Okay. I took it from her county. That was her county's mission statement. Because mm-hmm. I also feel like sometimes with those type of organizations, like maybe the more local you get, the more like granular they get into their mission statement. Makes sense. They also said that she was like a very giving person. Like her aunt said that she would give you like the shirt off her back or the, her last dollar. So, you know, it made sense that she worked for this company. So it said that she left for work. And then at eight o'clock, she checked in through her phone. I think like either had an app or like had to call in some think she had to literally clock in using her phone and that was at 8 Mm a.m and then she was supposed to go pick up her first client of the day and she never showed which was like a huge red flag because sandy was so fucking punctual when she didn't show, her client called the ARC. Maybe Sandy was sick that day or something like that or whatever, whatever. The ARC was like, no, she checked in. She should be like on her way to you. So then they began to call members of her family. They called Lewis. Lewis tried to get a hold of her. No one was getting a hold of her. And her phone hadn't been used officially. The last time her phone was used was at 8 a.m. or just after 8 a.m. And then her cell phone didn't work the rest of the time. So I don't know if like maybe she shut it off or something. I don't know. This is 2010. So like people had like the iPhone was at least out so mm-hmm. you know who knows so her family is like frantically trying to call her this is really unusual Lewis leaves his job and goes home just in case like maybe she got sick and went home and isn't answering she's not there nobody can seem to find her and so they're like out looking they've called the police the police are looking families looking I believe some of her co-workers were looking for her but she was nowhere to be found well at 2.43 or about they get a break in the case and it is not a good break. Mm -hmm. A small group of hunters found a 2009 Ford Focus parked in a lot off of Camp Canoe Road, which was basically part of this. It was the Culvert Cliff State Park. So it's important to know that she's found in a state park because that will play a little bit later. And that was like literally the it was like two to three miles from her house. So not very far. At first, when they saw the car, they thought it was just like abandoned. And then they got closer and they thought what they saw was a person like laying across the front seats and they're like oh maybe this person is sleeping which at first I was like why would you it's a four door you were sleeping why wouldn't you be in the back seat Mm -hmm. but like the person that they saw was across both front seats and their leg was up on the dash so not really like comfortable when they got even closer they realized that there was blood all in the car so they immediately called 911 the cops show up and at first like the local people came the local investigative team but they were really like we want to shut this down just you know whatever whatever but also because it was on state land remember 
State Park. Mm -hmm. When the cops had called, state police came, and that would bring police sergeant David Sexton, and he actually arrived on the scene. So when he got there, he noted that he thought, and this is a quote, we knew it was a crime of passion, not sure why this happened. They were saying because it was like in the car in close proximity, like, and the rage on this, because she had blunt force trauma, she'd been stabbed several times, her hands had shown like defensive wounds, and the stab wounds were to her neck and chest, and then like the lacerations were on her arms and hands, and then also the blunt force trauma to her head. Mm -hmm. It was also said that the investigators believe that she had been killed elsewhere, driven to the state park, and then that's where her body was found, and they believe this because of like the repositioning of her body, like obviously she was like in a weird position, but also the seatbelts were cut. Mm. So if this was someone like in a hurry to get away, they may have like cut the seatbelt to like reposition her. Yeah. The police began to investigate and they were like, this had to be someone that she knew. The family said that they weren't sure that they didn't think she would pick up a hitchhiker. I agree with that. Like, even though she was really generous and like caring, like there's still a safety thing that people have. Like she may have like rolled down the window and given someone like $10 to catch the bus, but I don't think she would just be like, hey, random stranger get in my car right and on top of that she was working and had to go get a client so right and so they're thinking that if it was somebody she knew it might be like hey jump in real quick i'll drop you like i'm going this way i can drop you off at this corner Mm -hmm. because i would think like with a stranger you'd have to have a little bit more of an interaction right because you don't know where they're going or anything like that right so at this point they're like you know they do the whole crime scene investigation they go through and they will find dna we're going to talk about that in a minute but now we get into this like weird world of like accusations and like the what ifs and could this have happened and blah 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 so of course what do they do every time a significant other is killed they look at the other person Mm -hmm. so lewis was obviously the first person they looked at now he did have an alibi that was pretty fucking solid because he was at work okay people at work were like he was definitely here Mm -hmm. he actually left once they couldn't find her he left Mm -hmm. and the thing is we don't even know how like long that took right this is one of those cases where it's like it was in a small area and it didn't really get past mm. too far. Mm-hmm. But then like, is it True Crime Daily? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did a special on it and then it blew up. But now that that's gone, I can't find that anywhere. Hmm. I only know that because like Stephanie Harlow actually has like clips of it in her video. Mm-hmm. It's the only reason I know that that existed. Huh. Interesting. And she references it and she actually has it hyperlinked, but it, when you click on it, it tells you like this is like private or has been removed. Right. So, hmm. Sad. So they look at Lewis and they're like, okay, what motive could he have to kill his wife? And the first thing that comes out is that her daughter Kiana had actually accused Lewis of sexually assaulting her or molesting her. Basically, she said is that one night he came into her room while she was sleeping or falling asleep or whatever in bed and that he touched her butt and then attempted to touch her in the front. But she says she doesn't know if like she just moved away or if she got up and left. First and foremost, like I always believe the victim but that's an awfully big distinction whether you just moved over or like locked him or you got up and left the room i don't know if this is just like maybe reporting is bad on this possibly yeah you know like maybe someone misunderstood and this is the information i have on it but that's my only question of that otherwise like you know 100 percent 
Apparently, this led to them fighting a lot, Lewis and Kiana. And sometimes, I guess, the fights would get physical, like physically fighting. And it was almost going to court, but Sandy stepped in and was like, okay, this just needs to go away. Like, we need to handle this within our family. Like, we need to figure this out. It shouldn't go to court. And I get that. That's probably like a really hard thing to do. On Stephanie's video, I saw a comment where someone was like, and I totally heard this comment. It's like, if my child accused someone, he's gone. So I can understand why maybe the daughter is hurt by this and that maybe Lewis is also hurt by this. Another thing that they find out when they're digging in a little deeper is they found out that Sandy had been having an affair. Apparently, Lewis found out when the police found out. And that, according to the police, they found out. And I think it was because, like, her family, like, all talked, but they didn't necessarily, like, you'll find this out a little later. They don't necessarily talk to the important people, mm. but they all gossipy. <laughs> So apparently some of the family had known that she'd had an affair. With this, the police tracked down this boyfriend. And that's how we're going to call him. Because when the police tracked him down, they rang the doorbell. He answered. His wife wasn't home because he was also married. And he Mm. struck a deal with the police saying, I will cooperate with you a hundred and million percent. If only you can guarantee my wife will never find out that I had this affair. Wow. Which means he can never like be outed as a sore. If mm-hmm. this would have gone to court, he would have like probably been like one of those like witness like TV, like mm-hmm. on the TV with like the, you know what I'm saying? Like the dark. They change, they make it all shadowy and then change his voice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Probably tell his wife he's on a business trip. And <laughs> they're not quite sure like because they can't say like, but it's basically someone either from her work or her church is what they know. And surprisingly, the police are like, okay, cool. We just won't ever tell your wife. And they went along with this. And this is something that like popped in my head. Basically, it's like, what if the wife found out? Right. So like, because they never tell the wife that the husband is involved, they never question her and she could possibly be a suspect. If you found out that your husband was cheating on you, you might confront the mistress or the the affair. And what if shit went wrong? Mm -hmm. We don't know. But what the police did is they actually ended up, they pulled his like work GPS and they found out that he was actually in Washington, D.C. at the time and that which is over an hour away. So like though he had an alibi, did his wife have an alibi? Right. It's a valid question. And he has kids. Kids get mad too. Oh, yeah. The other really weird thing that the police were like, okay, what's happening is about a month or so, maybe a couple months before Sandy was murdered, she took a life insurance policy out on herself, naming her daughters as her beneficiaries, as well as her sister Joyce. Mm. And it was stated that Joyce would take care of the girls upon her death. And that's why she was getting some of the money was to help. And the big like thing is, is like, why would a married woman need to take a life insurance policy out on herself? But not just that, but like have the wherewithal to be like, this is for my daughters. I've thought about this like both ways. Like this could be that she thought Lewis was going to kill her or something was going to happen. And so she's like, I want to take care of my kids. Or this is the other thing. There's two thoughts here. One is that she was thinking long term. She was like 43. You know, this is the time that's, I mean, I'm in my 30s and they're already talking about life insurance mm-hmm. and blah, 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 and all that stuff, wills and everything. So maybe she was like, I need to like help my daughters down the line. And maybe, you know, this would help them if I were to pass away. It was $50,000. Like she could have upped it over the years. Like we don't know what her plans were. Right. But the weird thing was, is that Lewis knew nothing about it. He found out basically when like Joyce was like, well, there's this life insurance policy. Well, my thought is obviously this is just like theory, speculation, whatever. If she's having an affair, maybe she was planning on leaving him and she just didn't even want to fucking include him in any of it. That's really true. That's smart. I didn't think of that. 
My other thought was that maybe they had had a conversation about it like a long time before and then she just got around to it and he just didn't know she had done it. Yeah. Because those were her children. Yeah. We don't know what his financial situation is. Maybe he was set. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I know people who like it's their second marriage or third marriage or whatever and that's how they set it up. It's like all their beneficiaries go to their kids and their families and not the spouse because the spouse has their own shit. So like I mentioned earlier though, we're going to kind of go back more to forensically. So they did pull two DNA samples. There was only two distinct DNA samples in the car. And one, of course, was Sandy. That would make sense. Right. She was in the car and her blood was everywhere. Yeah. But the other one came from a family member, like an adjacent family member. So remember I talked about her sister Joyce? Well, her husband, and I don't know whether... It is leans or weans. I couldn't find it in writing. I'd only heard it in a video. I'm really sorry. So I'm just going to call him Sammy because this is his first name, which is Joyce's husband. Mm -hmm. His DNA was found predominantly on the steering wheel. Oh. So, of course, they're like, dude, why is your DNA here? And he said that his DNA is on it because on occasion, like, they had a weird driveway. And so, like, he would, like, back the car out of the driveway for her. Like, if Lewis was gone, like, he would be helpful. And... Forensically, they cannot tell whether you've been in the car like a million hours or like, well, I guess like in a way you could because there would be like more of your cells everywhere, like your skin cells. But like they basically tried to say like the forensic team was like, no, he had to have been in there longer. But then everyone's like, but you can't really tell. I'm very confused. Mm. Sammy was like all talkative, very helpful. And then they're like, dude, we found your DNA. And then he was like, I'm done. And, you know, a lot of people saw that he was refusing to cooperate as a sign of guilt. I see it two ways. One, his demographic often gets like pinned for shit that they don't do. Yeah. You know, and it's really hard to argue DNA evidence. Like Mm -hmm. that's a thing. Like people know that DNA is pretty damning. So when they ask him to take a polygraph test and he says no, they're like, oh, he must be guilty. But I don't necessarily think it could be that. I could honestly see that he's like, you know what? I have nothing to do with this. It's a totally innocent reason my DNA is in that car. But if I go down there, you're going to trick me into saying something Mm -hmm. and I'm going to get caught in some shit and then I'm going to go away for a murder I didn't commit. Or the other thing is he's guilty and he's like, I am fucking going in there. The question is, if they have this, why don't they arrest him? Well, I have a feeling that their DNA evidence is not not like ironclad. Yeah. It's not like they have it in his blood written, I killed Sandy. Like, that's not a thing. You know, it's just DNA and it could either be sweat or skin cells. And he has said that he was in the car. He said this prior But, like, at the same time, here's my hinky thing. There's no other DNA in this car. Right. You would think that Lewis's DNA, her children's DNA, the DNA of, like, the clients that she had. Right. Yeah, because they'd be in the car. Right. So, like, unless she just bought that car Tuesday morning... Took it over to Sammy. Sammy drove it a little bit. Like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. It could be that maybe somebody cleaned up. They wore gloves. This could also be it. She could have also cleaned her car. She could be very clean and keep her car clean. I don't know how long. But I would think you would find something. Right, right. Hair, skin cells, sweat. Like, just like touching the seatbelt. Like, you'd think you'd find other DNA. So, I don't know. Because obviously it's Tuesdays. That means she worked Monday. So, I have lots of questions about that. That, it, that aren't answered because there's nothing out there. 
This case has like five articles out there. That's so sad. And it's like there's some news reports like video wise, like from like 2010, 2011, and then like nothing for a long time. Mm. Sammy also says that Sergeant Sexton harasses him. Oh. And that he comes for him. Apparently, and I'm taking this off the video I watched Stephanie Harlow's video recapping the true crime Mm -hmm. daily one is that they actually like caught up with him like he was out grocery shopping or something and they caught up with him and they asked him questions and he kind of spilled some tea. Oh shit. One, he said that he was being harassed and that the police were like trying to pin it on him and two, Stephanie brings up a great point is that I don't think Sammy and Joyce are still married because like apparently he's just like that family is crazy and they all sleep together and they marry one another. They're fucking insane and I'm like (laughs) and quote Stephanie, she's like I really hope they aren't married because that'd be a really awkward (laughs) thing and I'm like yes. Oh. Very awkward. Mm. So like who fucking knows what Sammy's talking about and again like maybe he's trying to like throw people off because yeah. he's like just leave me the fuck alone like maybe if I sound like I'm crazy you'll just be like you know he's not a reliable source <laughs> which could be genius you know if like you don't want people to talk to you just don't act all there because people will be like mm, not him in 2016 Sergeant Sexton got a hold of Kiana and asked her to take a polygraph and she was like sure I think they said it was the summer of 2016 and she took the polygraph test and they asked her, did you have anything to do with your mother's death? And she failed that question. Now, this goes back to the legitimacy of polygraphs. I know that modern, like, really recently, like, last couple of years recently, and 2016 is five years ago, so everyone... (laughs) I have to remind myself that it's not two years ago. Right. Polygraph testing has come such a long way in five years. Now, maybe this was a question that was, like, thrown at her, and she didn't know, and so she's flustered, and then she answered it, and it came off as, like, deception. It could be faulty machinery. It could be that she just got really nervous. It could be that she's deceiving. She may know something. She could have just been she was upset. Right. There's a lot of different things about it. So now they think that in his mind, because the narrative has been from the state police that this was done by someone she knew and was close to. So it would make sense. And it would, I mean, the theory is, and this is theory accusations only not substantiated by any facts. These are just literal theories. Is that maybe she got upset because Sandy had squashed the sexual assault allegation or the molestation allegation and that it felt like Sandy was picking Lewis over her kids and maybe she saw her daughter walking down the street or maybe she offered to give her daughter a ride somewhere and they got into a fight and something happened. Mm -hmm. There's also the theory that Sammy and the daughter ended up together. There's so many theories out there. It's just, it's really hard to say. The really sad thing about this is that there isn't enough known. Yeah. I would really like the police departments to come out, hold a press conference, talk about this, talk about what they have. You know, podcasts have become such a great way to get information Mm -hmm. out. Just look at like the Kristen Smart case. Look at the Alyssa Turney case. Like there's so many ways that people consume media that it just doesn't sound like this case got out into the world. And I feel like maybe if it got out into the world, someone would be like, oh my God, I know Sandy. I knew her. Oh my God. Yeah. She mentioned this to me because it could be like the Lacey Peterson case where maybe nobody's checking on leads or maybe people think, oh, well, I didn't know her that well or I saw something, but like, I'm not sure what I saw. Like, I just think that... They need to get this out because this woman deserves justice. Her family deserves answers. And the person who did this is should be held responsible. 100%. So that is the unsolved case of Sandy Long. If you know anything, it'll be on the sources page. Mm-hmm. All their contact. Where to contact. Yeah. 
So if you want an episode dedicated to you, like Rebecca got this episode dedicated to her, head over to patreon.com. There's also a link in the link tree in the show notes. So we hope you enjoyed it and we will see you back here on Monday for another episode. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.